Now, I knew my dad fairly well, and I knew that that was the wrong way to approach him. <laughs> and uh, he said, well, okay, if I went to court over this, it might take a long while. But what if I didn't go to court? I am the official in the city charged with public safety. There is evidence your cut could collapse on the main line up and down the east coast of the United States. I can issue an emergency injunction and shut your line down. They said, you wouldn't dare. And he said, I can have a police car sitting on your line in one hour. If that doesn't convince you, I can call out the National Guard. And if that doesn't convince you, I can have an armored brigade with a tank on your trailer tracks. He probably said it much like that. I don't really know. I wasn't there. And at that point, Sandy began to break out among the lawyers. <laughs> Amazing how that works. And they said, could, could we just talk for a second? <laughs> and so they went and talked, and my dad sat at his desk, and, and uh, one of them stuck their head up and said, Mr. Drips, how much did you say it would cost to fix that man's house? And my, my dad told him. And uh, so then the lawyers came back, and they said, well, Mr. Drips, without admitting any liability for this situation, would you give us time to examine this cut and make sure it was fixed and that if any incidental damage had happened, that you, would you give us time to get that fixed? And he said, uh, how much time are you going to need to fix the guy's house? And they were saying, well, you know, a couple days. I mean, <laughs> what do you need? And he was saying, that would be fine. That would be fine. Situation resolved. Man could move back into his house. Gives you a little bit different picture of what authority can accomplish, right? Like I said, I knew my dad. Those lawyers might have thought he was bragging and boasting. They'd had that. They'd have had that tank on their tracks if they'd pushed. With authority, authority is a funny thing. You can do great good. You can also do great evil. I told that story at my dad's funeral. And interestingly enough, one of my cousins took exceptions to it. They felt that this was a government official abusing his power over the poor private railroad. <laughs> and I thought, I'm not going to touch that one with a pole. <laughs> but authority is a funny thing. It's hard to, to do... Always do good, not to do evil. I didn't see it the way my cousin had, had seen it. Uh, it uh, one of the things, of course, uh, is that if my dad had actually shut down the main north-south line on the east coast, it would have made the news really big time, if you can imagine such a thing. He never told me what he would have done at that inevitable news conference, but I have an idea for the railroad, that would have been a huge PR disaster. So like I say, my dad was a short, quiet man, little personal power. But when he chose to represent the U.S. government, he had much power at his disposal. 
My main point today is that we should not strive to be the authority. We should, what we should do is represent him who is in possession of authority. The one who really has authority is the Lord. If you've um, ever looked at uh, Matthew uh, 28:18, Jesus says, all authority has been given to me. And so all authority is actually the Lord's authority. In today's selection, Mark 11:27 through 12, verse 17, Jesus continues dealing directly with the Jewish authorities. What he does here is directly applicable to our lives today. So if you'd like to turn to Mark chapter 11, verse 27, I'd like to read that uh, that first paragraph in today's selection. Mark chapter 11, verse 27. And they came again to Jerusalem, and as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and scribes and elders came to him, and they said to him, By what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them? Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Then why why then did you not believe him? But shall we say for man? They were afraid of the people, for they all held that John was really a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we do not know. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. It's almost as though there are a bunch of little boys and Jesus just caught them. And is basically saying to them, okay, so which one of you is doing this? And they're looking at each other, not me, not, no, no, not me. I don't know who did it. When you see a situation like this, when people are asking a question that is not the real question, really what we should do is answer a question with a question. And that's the first point on your outline this morning is answer a question with a question. Their real question seems to concern submitting to God's authority. Now, here's the thing. Jesus represents God's authority. One of the best questions to answer with me may be, if when you run into a situation like this, one of the best questions to answer with may be, I'd like to understand better. Could you explain to me what you are, are saying and why you're saying it? When Jesus asked this question, like it or not, they had to go through all of the questions and answers in their head. And he got them to actually state his argument. His argument was just as, as they said, if we say from heaven, then why not believe him? If they say for man, well, gee, everybody thinks he really is from God. And it's interesting that he never even had to get into an argument with them. Just by asking a question. When you're trying to undeceive people, it can be a very difficult task. And we get entrenched in our deceptions. And we, uh, 
uh, when we're doing something that, that may not be completely right, we can immediately think of ten reasons why it is right. And we get entrenched in those beliefs. Asking, ask, answering that question with a question may be the best way to get us to face it. See, this isn't about tricking the other person. The point is this. When someone's mind is already made up, how do you get them to consider alternatives? So my dad could have gotten into a power struggle with these lawyers, right? He could have said, well, you know, this and that, and, you know, cite this statute and all those kind of things. And uh, given that situation, he most probably would have won. You know, and the fact is that if Jesus decided to go for a power struggle with these Jewish leaders, who would have won? <laughs> yeah, Jesus. But the trouble is, how do you actually get the men's hearts and change those things? Winning the outward power struggle actually doesn't win the person. Defeating his arguments doesn't help. You've got to get to the point where he is actually listening, where he wants to hear. So when my dad asked them what they would like to do, that allowed those lawyers to agree to a solution where everybody won. So when we get into a squabble, a controversy with those in authority, one of the first things that we should do is consider if we ought not to answer a question with a question. And then in the first paragraph in Mark chapter 12, Jesus tells a story. And that's the, the second point in your outline. And again, it's more about how you deal with those in authority. And he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a pit for the wine press and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the season came, he sent a servant to, to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. And they took him and beat him and sent him away empty handed. Again, he sent them another servant and they struck him in the head and treated him shamefully. And he sent another, and him they killed, and so with many others. Some they beat, and some they killed. He still had one other, a beloved son. Finally, he said to him, sent him to them, saying, They will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read the scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And they were seeking to arrest him, but feared the people. for They perceived that he had told the parable against them. So they left him and went away. Um, yeah, that, that's no doubt. He was telling that parable right to them. Many times in the Old Testament, Israel is described as a vineyard, God's vineyard. 
the, the scriptures are full of how Israel rejected prophets. Not a real good habit to be into. And they rejected all kinds of messengers. When Jesus is talking about the Son, that is another one of the titles of Messiah. In other words, this was a title of God's King. So when the, this uh, Lord from a distant country is sending his Son, what Jesus is telling them is that they are rejecting the Messiah. They are rejecting God's Son. And he quoted Psalm 118 just to make sure that, uh, that they got it. And Psalm 118, it's, it's really interesting when you read it. Um, it talks about how God is going to defeat his enemies. And how God is then going to make the stone that the builders rejected the cornerstone. And so what Jesus is telling them is that they are going to reject him. And because of that, they are going to be destroyed. Why did he tell this story? Why didn't he just tell it in plain English like I just told you? Well, for one thing, they wouldn't have understood English. But He told it in a parable so that they could take a different look at it. Their minds were made up. Jesus cannot be it. So he tells a story that helps him to look at it from a little bit different point of view. There's another place that you can look, uh, 2 Samuel uh, chapter 12. And it's when uh, David has uh, committed sin with Bathsheba. And God sends Nathan to con confront David. And it's really interesting. The way that Nathan does that is he tells him a story about this poor man who had a little ewe sheep and the rich man came and stole his ewe sheep and all that stuff. You remember the story. And, and uh, when Nathan gets to the climax, he basically turns to David and says, you are the man. And finally, David is able to come to repentance. So telling a story, an illustration that enables someone to look at things from a little bit different point of view can be really, really helpful. And that's another thing that we should consider. Answering a question with a question is, is another, it's very one thing that we can do, a very helpful thing. And what he's doing now is telling a story to try to help them come at this from a little bit different point of view. <clears throat> you know, by the way, uh, in this story, Jesus saying what was going to happen was not theoretical. In... Uh, I think it was A.D. 68, about a little over 30 years, 35 years or so after the events recorded here. The Romans did come and destroy all of, of Israel. And it ended, that rebellion, the, the Jewish war they called it, uh, ended in A.D. 70 with the siege of the Jewish fortress at Masada. And there the Jews were quite willing to defend it to the death. And the Roman legion that was sent to d deal with them basically said, you want to die? Okay, we'll take care of it. And uh, they, they destroyed the, this Jewish rebellion. And everything that God said would happen to them 
in Psalm 118 actually came true. And what Jesus said in here that would, uh, that would happen to these tenants where the owner would come and destroy them actually really did happen. When we ignore God's word, that's what we can expect. So in my dad's case, the railroad decided to make peace and win some PR coup, win some, uh, some PR points by being able to say how they had noticed a problem and gone back in and fixed this poor man's house. Sadly, here, the, the Jewish leaders did not take that option. They instead decided to kill the son, just as Jesus had said they would do. And they are forever known throughout history as those who just rejected the best man who ever lived. You know, I don't know about you, but of all the things that I could appear before before God to give account of, The one thing I do not want to have to give account for is having rejected Jesus. And yet, and yet, folks, any time we do not do what the Lord wants, are we not rejecting Jesus? So tell a story. Help those in authority see things from a little bit different point of view. Perhaps they'll come to repentance. Answer a question with a question Tell a story. And finally, try to deal with the heart of the rebellion. What people do on the outside, the justifications they give are often not what's really going on in their hearts. And actually, if you deal with that surface level question, you may not actually get anywhere. And in the next passage, Jesus deals with the heart of the rebellion. And in Mark 12, verses 13 through 17, it says, And they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion. For you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, why put me to the test? Bring a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought him one and he said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. Jesus said to him, render to Caesar's the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at it. See, he went to the real heart of the problem here. First of all, they're coming in big time with flattery. And Jesus sees through that every inch of the way. And his answer to that one, why are you putting me to the test? And while they're still sitting there with their mouths open, trying to figure out how in the world he figured that out. uh, Where is this? Oh, yeah. Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. You see, because legally, legally, the money is not yours. Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever looked at, a, at, the, at what it says? It says right here, this is a Federal Reserve note. Now, I think it's my money, but actually, 
if I were to take this thing and cut up and scribble all over it, I have just committed a federal crime, have I not? Oh, yeah. The government owns the money. I don't. You don't. And that's the way it's always been. When he held up that denarius, they all knew that that belonged to Caesar. What is Jesus saying by this? Caesar has God's authority to tax them. Now, who here likes paying taxes? I mean, you just look forward to April 15th and you just can't wait to get that. No, not, not so much. No, nobody likes taxes. But yet God has given the authority to, ta- to the government to tax us. So here's the problem. The problem is not that Jesus might not be in rebellion against duly constituted authority. The, repo- the real problem is, is these people are in rebellion against duly constituted authority. The authorities are in rebellion. That's what the real problem is. Just hold up that coin. It says it all, doesn't it? And he says, yeah, whose image is this? That's pointing out who owns this thing. And Caesar wants it back now. You got a problem with that? Yeah. And he, uh, he says, whose likeness and inscription is this? And they say, Caesar. Okay, well, give Caesar what's his and give God what's his. You see, God has all authority. And if he has delegated some authority to governments that use it in ways you don't like, that does not mean that you get to go out and disobey. Now, okay, there's sometimes when governments do things that are just flat out wrong. Okay, that's a different story. In other words, like the the Hebrew midwives who did not kill the babies as they were born and didn't tell the truth about that. That's okay. Saving babies, that's, you know, that's okay. But the problem here is that this was duly constituted authority. And the real heart of rebellion in this situation has just been exposed. The real heart of the rebellion is in these leaders. Uh, it's interesting, as you, so a few other observations on this story. They sent him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians. Okay, the Pharisees are the religiously very conservative. Uh, they, are, um, they are not the wealthy bigwigs. They are the um, scholars of the, of the law. Um, they are the ones who um, uh, participated with the, the great rabbinic schools, those, those sort of things. The Herodians are actually those who are in favor of King Herod, whom most of the Pharisees would not even acknowledge was a Jew. Now, what do you suppose would happen? You put the Pharisees and the Herodians together, right? This is like you got a little meeting here and you have the LGBT whatever on the one side and on this other side you got, I don't know, somebody that's just really homophobic you know, and it isn't going to mix that's the kind of controversy that you have between this and their their problem with Jesus was so extreme that those these two people that were such on opposite sides of the fences were willing to unite against him what, what does this imply? This implies that at this point, 
the Jewish leaders are really feeling the heat. They will do just about anything at this point, even unite with their sworn enemies. Now, I don't think that my dad got to this level with the railroad lawyers, but neither did Jesus. Jesus did not override anyone's choices here. But just as my dad saved that poor homeowner, so Jesus saves all who calls on him. While the Pharisees and the other Jewish religious leadership groups did not come to Christ, some Pharisees did. And it's, it's really an amazing thing. The number of individuals who were in these Jewish leadership groups who did come to know Christ. One of the most famous was born with the name of Saul. But today we know him as Paul. The great missionary apostle and the writer of much of the New Testament. So I'm not saying that Paul was here at this time. But what I am saying is that Jesus, by these arguments, did actually win over many of his enemies. So some ways to deal with those in authority that are headed the wrong way. Answer a question with a question. If somebody's mind is made up, that's, a, that's really a good way to well, I actually have this written down here. I ought to say it the way I wrote it. It's often the best use of authority to call men to repentance. Now, I fully support the civil authorities catching criminals and putting them away. That can actually stop future criminal acts. But it doesn't change those criminals from the inside out. What happens after you let them go? And we know too, all too often it, they just do it again. By trying to understand men, Jesus was able to speak to them and to speak to us in a way that reached hearts. Men chose to harden their hearts against him and against us as we represent him. But others choose to repent and turn to him who truly understands. By laying down his life, Jesus showed us how he changes men from the inside out. We participate with him in that by representing him to those around us. We can and should let everyone know that a day of judgment is coming. But that is not enough. We should also call them to repentance because a day of reward is also coming. In that day, all who have put their trust in Jesus will be included as his brothers for all eternity. We should enter their lives with love and understanding. So, we go into a situation where people are doing the wrong thing, especially those in authorities, and we think we need to make justice break out. And I am here, and I'm going to make it happen. The problem with that attitude, which I share all too often, the problem with that attitude is it doesn't change anybody's heart. So we have to go to people with love and understanding, not, not ignoring their sin, not saying that what they're doing is right, but we have to go with love and understanding and help get to what's going on in their hearts so they can come to know Christ. So answer a question with a question to those whose minds are made up. Tell a story to those who need to see a different point of view and deal with the heart to help men 
come to Christ. Certainly, Jesus had and still has the authority to judge all men. But he would rather have mercy. If you don't know him, won't you let him have mercy? Let's pray. Father, we come before you, and you are the one that we put our hope in. You're the one who um, we have confidence in. You're the one who has drawn us to yourself. And so, Father, as we um, uh, look to you this morning, uh, we pray that that you would uh, uh, enable us to repent of the places where we want to bring judgment down on people. Where we want to be the authority rather than represent your authority. So we pray that you would work that in us. In Jesus' name, amen.